do please keep that uh, reading uh, in front of you. Don't put the screen on for a moment, please, Andy. Otherwise, they'll see what a mess I'm in. Good. There we are. It's a bit more positive. I think we can try that now. Jolly good. Romans. Um, I've called it part three. Uh, The uh, vision statement that you see on the wall when you come in of a Sunday has in its first part three elements. That we should grow more like Jesus Christ, that we should love one another, and that we should serve our networks and local communities. A month ago at our communion service, we looked at growing Uh, Tonight, uh, we're going to look at loving one another. And immediately, it's worth registering a problem. Because uh, who could not want to love one another? It's nice. It's motherhood and apple pie. So, uh, well, I assume you like motherhood um, and apple pie. Um, But anyway, we, we, we assume that we like love. So, how can one say anything useful about it? Well, I wanted to go to uh, Romans 13 because it's a bit odd. And I thought that might be interesting. So, uh, if you look at uh, chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, and they help, there's a helpful little heading there, saying, Submission to the authorities. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Then by the time you get down to verse 8, where we came in, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Very rarely do you... They, they say there's nothing certain in life except death and taxes. Very rarely in life do you get um, taxes, which are verses 1 to 7, and love put so closely together. What is going on that Paul wants to bring these themes together? What has love got to do with taxes? And we'll only get that if we turn back to chapter 12 and verse 1. This is why I've called it Romans uh, Romans part 3. It might be Romans part 4, but Romans part 3 will do for the moment. I reckon it's um, 1 to 4, 5 to 11, and then part 3 begins with uh, chapter 12. But you could, if you want to, say that there's another section at chapter 9 to 11, and if you want to quarrel with me on that, as many of you will do, I want, I'm sure, then have a word with me afterwards. But, part three, therefore, chapter 12, I urge you. You've probably heard sermons on uh, uh, chapter 12. It's the go-to chapter, the go-to verse even, uh, the first couple of verses, for those of us who want to say that worship is not just what we sing, but it's like breathing. You kind of don't have much choice if you're alive about breathing. It's just what happens with your body. Similarly, worship is what happens with all of you. There's no separation into spiritual bits and uh, earthly bits or material bits. Worship is, according to uh, verse 1, the presenting of ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Paul, in Romans, is trying to say, especially to a Jewish um, uh, grouping, look, 
just because we're Christians now does not mean that we've started something completely new. On the contrary, what I'm describing to you, uh, Jewish people, is plan A that was there from the beginning. So if I now come to you and start talking, and, and you're thinking to yourselves, hang on, this is Jesus, this, was cru- this is about crucifixion. That means you're throwing away everything around the temple, everything around sacrifice. Paul is saying, oh no, I'm not. On the contrary, what I'm doing is explaining to you how all the sacrifices of the temple were actually embodied in the one final sacrifice, so that now you are to present your bodies as living sacrifices. And what I want to do is just go through the argument through 12 and some of 13, because I think it affects how we then see love. Memo to self, change toys next time. Okay, chapter 12, verse 1. Right worship according to the gospel. There, that's a bit better. Um, And he goes on to say, uh, this is the kind of spirit with which you ought to be approaching worship. This is how you should think of one another. So by the end of that section, verse 8, if it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, if it's showing mercy, he's listing the gifts. And not unlike what he does in 1 Corinthians, he's going through the gifts, and he goes from the gifts into uh, verse 9, and love. Love must be sincere. If anyone is going to an ordination service uh, in this season, this is always the ordination reading from uh, chapter 12 and verse 9 onwards. Ask Will, I'm sure he remembers it deeply from last year when he was ordained. Love must be sincere. So from worship, we've gone to gifts and then to love. And it's not just any old love. This is love over the top. This is extravagant love. Bless those who persecute you, verse 14. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Don't be proud, be willing to, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Verse 17, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Don't take revenge. Verse 19, it's over the top. It's, it's more. Go further. Whatever you can think of, go further than that. And so, uh, there's an objection Paul imagines, goes on. He comes to verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You've got this extravagant love, and he imagines someone saying, but hang on, Paul, what about the dangers if love gets abused? What happens if love actually encounters evil? Yes, you've told us we're to keep on loving, but what are we supposed to do about evil? And straight away then, he says, sorry, back, straight away then, he says, verse 13, don't worry, it's government that is there to fix good and evil for you. That's where chapter 13 comes in Paul's argument, and it's a real sadness that chapter 13 is so often taken way out of its context, and we get something about what's the role of government, well, for the government we go to chapter 13 of Romans, only because... It has a certain place in the argument. And Paul there addresses the question of governance and uh, 
authority, where it comes from, uh, what its place is and what authority is for. It is there to deal with evil. And the, the way it deals with it is by gathering money to run the forces of the state. That gathering of money is around taxes. So government is there to fix good and evil so you can get on with love. And now we come to our reading for tonight. Verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. See, you've, he's ended, uh, where are we, verse uh, uh, 8. Oh, wait a minute. My eyes, my eyes. Uh, verse 6, this is why you pay taxes, but the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. But what about love? Let no debt remain outstanding. Don't be owing taxes. Don't be owing revenue. Pay your bills on time. Oh, if Christian businesses learned to pay their bills on time, what a difference there would be. It is one of the constant complaints of suppliers. And it's something we try to be very careful about in this church, is we pay our bills on time just as a matter of sheer uh, goodwill and and sticking by the rules. And very often we get a a comment comes back to us, thank you for paying on time, very few churches do. Don't be in debt taxes, don't be in debt with bills, don't be in debt uh, with anything, except there is one debt that you will not be able to pay. The government is doing all this stuff. It is looking after evil so that you can go back to where chapter 12 ended, being extravagantly OTT loving. So you can get on with love. The debt of love, though, can never be fulfilled. So let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt. It will always be a continuing debt because you cannot write paid across it. Every other debt that you you run up, you can write paid across it. You've dealt with that one, you've dealt with that one, you've dealt with that one. You do it in your household accounts. But you can never write paid across the debt of love. Now, debt is what the world understands. That's why it sends out invoices. Uh, And it's why the the world operates with, here's what we owe, it's been paid, uh, profit, loss, sorted. But law is different. And, And follow carefully, therefore, what Paul is saying at the beginning of these verses. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another because that debt will always go on, because he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. You can't fulfill the debt. The world understands debt, and so so love is kind of outside the world's comprehension. But you can fulfill the law. When you are loving, you are not to be saying to yourself, oh, golly, God's going to be really cross with me because I haven't loved that person enough oh, and I haven't loved that person enough, and God's really, really cross with me now. On the contrary, 
The commandments, verse 9, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and what other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. You can't meet the debt, because the debt is the world's way of thinking. And the debt will always be there, because you can always love more. You're never going to have that odd what would be odd sense of smugness by saying, yes, well, I've loved enough there. Moving on. It's not going to happen. But you can say, I have met the demands of the law. I have fulfilled. I recognize that the law is uh, completed in that commandment. So if I'm addressing that commandment, I'm kind of in the, along the grain. Of, of God's way. And then moving on. Do this understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up uh, because our salvation's nearer now than when we first believed. The night's nearly over, the day's almost here, so let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. We'll come back uh, to that. There's um, an impetus to love. Not from the sense of debt unfulfilled, but from a sense that the time is is moving on. The time is moving on when the waters will cover the sea, when uh, Jesus will be all in all, when our our lives will come up for assessment before him. Someone uh, already in this service has quoted, perfect love casts out fear. I think it was Meyer in the prayers. And I wonder what it is that stops us from loving I suspect the alternative for many of us is not hatred. You don't go around, you don't wander the streets going, oh, I know I should love them, but I hate them really. More, far more likely, you just wander the streets thinking, didn't love anybody today. Uh, I think I've quoted it in the morning service, but I, I, I noticed a poster campaign from Help the Aged saying that a million people at the moment, older people, are reckoning they spend a month of the year, a a, a full month, just without talking to another human being, even cashiers in the supermarket. Because they get their food in in other ways. Now, it's hard for such a person to engage. They may not hate anybody, but it's just hard to engage. Apathy towards them and apathy from them is going to be a really big issue. The law is fulfilled by love. And if the law is fulfilled by love, since Paul is talking to a Jewish grouping, he can say, look, it is not that you had the Jewish law and it was fantastic and it had the temple and its sacrifices, and here's us scrubby-looking, pathetic Christians uh, coming up with some new idea because of someone who hanged on a a tree uh, and it's kind of second-rate over against the wonderful system you had. Rather, he can say, if the law is fulfilled in the command to love, if all of the other laws find their meaning in the command of love, I'm only interpreting for you what was always there in the first place. So when I say to you, love, it's not a sort of second-rate 
replacement of all that you've known, but a first-rate illustration and summary of all that you've known. So I can come to you in confidence knowing that when I speak the good news of Jesus and his resurrection, I'm talking about plan A. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a reluctant, oh, all right, better give them something else since they don't seem to be doing very well with this Jewish lark. I'll give them a plan B. It's not a reluctant dispensation on God's part. It is actually plan A. And so Paul, at the beginning of the the letter to the Romans, says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of all people, whether Jew or Greek. Excuse me. And so at the end, when he comes, the end of 13, where he says, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. When he is saying, clothe yourselves with Jesus Christ, he is affirming that Jesus Christ is plan A. The gospel of Jesus Christ is plan A. The gospel prevails and he can go back to his insistence, I'm not ashamed. The gospel I'm talking about has a place for the gifts. The gospel I'm talking about has a, the, most, the, the predominant place for love. The gospel I'm talking about can take in uh, death, taxes, authority, government. But first and foremost, it is about love. Well, let me um, ask you a question. I want to think about applying some of this. Um, Just hold in your minds for a moment uh, those you love. Close your eyes if you find that helpful, but hold in your mind those you love. Okay, now from that uh, grouping, which may be many or may be few, uh, take out family. And uh, let me quote to you from Paul's definition within the church. And let me ask you from within the group of people that you have in your mind right now, to whom are you devoted? Devoted is a very powerful word. It's the word that's used in the, early cha- in the early books of the Old Testament to say these were the items devoted to destruction. It's, it's what's set apart for, uh, for the consecration of God. And that's where it comes to us. To whom are you devoted, if anyone? As we would perhaps say in our modern lingo, for whom would you take a bullet? Ask a different form of the same question, really. Who's devoted to you? Yes, of course, family, but we're not going to worry about family because Jesus has things to say about, yes, well, even the heathen can manage that. Who's devoted to you? And to whom are you devoted? I was deeply struck by this when I was preparing. Golly, this, this just strikes me amidships. This is not motherhood and apple pie now. 
Is it? Uh, now, some of you at the back and at the gallery don't need to do this, but those of you at the front will just turn around for a minute and have a look at the others. Odd-looking bunch. But those are the ones you're supposed to be devoted to. What might a devoted-to-each-other church look like? And I'm going to be a bit blunt here, blunter than we normally are. There's something rather special about the evening service. And one of the ways in which it's special is that it's not the morning service. Which is self-evident. But something can happen to those who come to the evening service. Lots of the staff know this and a few others do because uh, I counted uh, quite a while ago now and I, what was the proportion? It was something like 2% of people when I last was in the, not last, but some while ago when I was in the congregation to count, 2% of those attending the evening service came in with somebody. To whom they were not relate, to whom they were not related. Uh, others came perhaps uh, with friends, um, but most came on their own. And I think this is quite powerful, therefore, for the morning service, for the e- evening service. Morning service too, but there is that danger that we kind of pull apart that the evening service becomes the service of those who kind of don't feel they'd be really welcome at the morning service because the morning service is all kind of cheerful and full of people who know each other and uh, who kind of already are in the in-groups and therefore the evening service becomes those who don't feel that. So I say to the evening service, be devoted to one another. What would a devoted-to-each-other church look like? Well, uh, not, from chapter 12, proud or vengeful. Uh, Not, from chapter 13 and verse 9, adulterous, murderous, grabbing, or covetous. Uh, And not, from chapter 13 and verse 14, drunk and depraved and divided. One of the recent um, items that came before uh, Parliament, left Christians um, writing in in droves to MPs. And some of the MPs reflected uh, the non-Christian ones with irritation, the Christian ones with tremendous sadness, recognising that Christians only write to their MP when they're cross. No one ever says, I'm praying for you. No one ever writes to their MP saying, you did a really good job on that. Christians only write to their MP to say, you're making a mess of things. Christians, as far as MPs are concerned, are a deeply unloving group. One of the stories that's come from uh, Who Cares, uh, not, not from uh, ourselves, is of a man who uh, was in the city and was being asked the question, what hurts the most, and what have you. And what we do is we... Um, say, say it was Mike, I'd, I'd ask the question, Mike would answer and give me his response, and then I would give back to Mike uh, a card that explains what happens to his answer. And the person who it was on the, on the day um, was giving that 
second card over. And the man involved, who'd been perfectly happy to answer the question, what hurts the most or what is it that's hardest to handle in life, said, no, 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 I don't want that. Because they assumed it was Christian material. The world is deeply suspicious of us and not always for the right reasons. So I want to finish by looking at the very end of chapter 13. Perhaps just one more example. Um, I met someone on the doorstep this week who knew two members of our church, one former member, one current member. Uh, And uh, we got into a bit of banter about how they knew them and what what from. Uh, The continuing... Uh, member of the church, was known for his Christian example and was admired for the Christian example he showed in a non-church context just out there in the world. The person who's not currently a member of Trinity, they've uh, moved to another part of the country, uh, was not admired because that person's life was marked so much by drink that the guy on the doorstep just assumed they could have nothing to do with church. It's interesting that these are the issues precisely that Paul says. We must have standards that meet the world's standards and then go higher. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what would a church look like that was devoted to one another? How about attractively clothed? How about when you turned around, all you saw was faces of Jesus? How about if we treated each other as the Jesus who is devoted to us and the Jesus to whom we we are devoted? What would a church's impact be like if that's how we treated one another? Let's pray. Lord, it's easy to say love one another. Sometimes it's quite hard to do. And when it's hard to do, we can persuade ourselves sometimes that with a bit more effort we could do it. And we forget that we can't even begin to do it until we've recognised what you are, who you are, what you've done. We pray tonight for our brothers and sisters here who are caught up in drunkenness and immorality and division. We recognise ourselves when those things come too close to our own life. And we pray that you would make it possible by your grace and your Holy Spirit for us to become known as a church where the love of Christ clothes us with devotion to one another as our expression 
of our adoration and worship of him. For we ask it in his name.